Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and you've reached the Book of Mormon Lecture Series. I've been teaching seminary and institute for the last 11 years, and uh, this is an attempt to do a deep dive into the Book of Mormon itself. I'm hoping that you'll find this uplifting and edifying. This is not an official recording of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but every attempt has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. So if you're ready for a deep dive into the Book of Mormon, here we go. Hi, and welcome back to the Book of Mormon podcast. This discussion is going to be regarding Alma, chapter 23. So one thing to keep in mind here is that when Lamanites get converted, it seems like they get converted for good, that they don't fall away. So before we get into a discussion about the gospel or the scriptures here, what is the definition of converted? Uh, we're supposed to become converted. Uh, so let me just read you a couple things here about conversion. Often in the church, various forms of the word convert whether it's convert, conversion, converted, or used to refer to ones joining the church. Implied in this usage is the idea that the person has been taught the gospel, exercised faith in the atonement of Jesus Christ, repented of his sins, and then joined the church through the ordinance of baptism. This use of the word implies an event that has occurred in the life of an individual. Though this is not an inappropriate use of the word, it is limited in use. As used in Holy Writ, the word has greater meaning. In the recently published booklet, True to the Faith, published by the church, the following is stated regarding conversion. To be carnally minded is death, declared the Apostle Paul, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In our fallen state, we often struggle with temptation, and we sometimes give in to the will of the flesh and the evil which is therein. To be able to receive the blessing of eternal life, we need to be spiritually minded and conquer our unrighteous desires. We need to change. More accurately, we need to be changed or converted through the power of the Savior's atonement and through the power of the Holy Ghost. This process is called conversion. Conversion includes a change in behavior, but it goes beyond behavior. It is a change in our very nature. It is such a significant change that the Lord and his prophets refer to it as a rebirth, a change of heart, and a baptism of fire. Likewise, Elder Oaks of the Council of the Twelve stated, we qualify for eternal life through a process of conversion. As used here, this word of many meanings signifies not just a convincing, but a profound change of nature. Conversion is a process, not an event. You become converted as a result of your righteous efforts to follow the Savior. These efforts include exercising faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of sin, being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end in faith. Receiving the Holy Ghost is the beginning of the conversion process. Elder Oaks observed, the needed conversion by the gospel begins with the introductory experience the scriptures call being born again. In the waters of baptism and by receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, we become the spiritual sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, new creatures who can inherit the kingdom of God. To continue the process, we must become like God. In teaching the Nephites, the Savior referred to what they must become. He challenged them to repent and be baptized and be sanctified by the reception of the Holy Ghost, that ye may stand spotless before me at the last day. He concluded, therefore, what manner of men ought ye to be? Verily I say unto you, even as I am. Becoming is the essence of the process of conversion. Final judgment is not just an evaluation of a sum total of good and evil acts, what we have done. It is an acknowledgement of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have become. It is not enough for anyone just to go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made in some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become. Therefore, certain qualities characterize those who are converted unto the Lord. These are outlined in true to the faith. They desire to do good. They do not rebel against the Lord. 
They share the gospel. They are filled with love. The power of conversion is one of the most remarkable miracles ever witnessed by mankind. Such a miracle is the greatest sought for by God's children while in mortality. Elder Oaks said, changing bodies or protecting temples are miracles, but an even greater miracle is a mighty change of heart by a son or daughter of God. A change of heart, including new attitudes, priorities, and desires, is greater and more important than any miracle involving the body. And that was an article by Bruce Satterfield. All right, so let's get into the into the scriptures themselves now. Verse 1, Behold, now it came to pass that the king of the Lamanites sent a proclamation among all his people that they should not lay their hands on Ammon or Aaron or Omner or Himni, nor either of their brethren who should go forth preaching the word of God in whatsoever place they should be in, in any part of the land. Yea, he sent a decree among them that they should not lay their hands on them to bind them or to cast them into prison. Neither should they spit upon them, nor smite them, nor cast them out of their synagogues, nor scourge them. Neither should they cast stones at them, but that they should have free access to their houses and also their temples and their sanctuaries. The king isn't demanding that the people join the church, but that they not molest those who preach the gospel. And thus they might go forth and preach the word according to their desires, for the king had been converted unto the Lord and all his household. Therefore he sent his proclamation throughout the land unto his people, that the word of God might have no obstruction, but that it might go forth throughout all the land, that his people might be converted, or I'm sorry, might be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of their fathers, and that they might be convinced that they were all brethren, and that they ought not to murder, nor to plunder, nor to steal, nor to commit adultery, nor to commit any manner of wickedness. If we could convert rulers of nations, our missionary work would be easier in those countries, wouldn't it? I think so. And now it came to pass that when the king had sent forth this proclamation that Aaron and his brethren went forth from city to city and from one house of worship to another, establishing churches, the Church of Jesus Christ administers the gospel. It is the service agency by which the ordinances of salvation and the teachings and revelations of the master are made available in an organized and systematic manner to the people of the covenant. That was by Milton McConkie. Continuing verse 4, And consecrating priests and teachers throughout the land among the Lamanites to preach and to teach the word of God among them, and thus they began to have great success. And thousands were brought to the knowledge of the Lord, yea, thousands were brought to believe in the traditions of the Nephites, and they were taught the records and prophecies which were handed down even to the present time. And as sure as the Lord liveth, so sure as many as believed, or as many as were brought to the knowledge of the truth through the preaching of Ammon and his brethren, according to the spirit of revelation and a prophecy and the power of God working miracles in them, to mend a broken limb, to rid a body of disease, to raise the dead, all these are miracles indeed, yet miracles of a lesser order than the miracle of cleansing a soul from sin. Breathing the breath of spiritual life into the soul previously dead to the things of the spirit, planting faith where there had been no faith, evoking righteousness where there had been none. Such are the great miracles that the gospel works upon people's hearts and souls. And again, that was Millet McConkie. Continuing verse 6, Yea, I say unto you, as the Lord liveth, as many of the Lamanites as believed in their preaching and were converted unto the Lord, never did fall away. True conversion is not a guarantee of perfection so much as a longing for perfection. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis tells of a group of sinners from hell who take a sightseeing trip to heaven. All of them have their attachments to sin and their self-imposed and self-sustaining weaknesses, and all of them, when they arrive at their heavenly destination, are invited to remain. All they must do to have this opportunity is to give away anything that is more important to them than staying in that celestial sphere. Heaven must be more important to them than any other thing. 
Among those who received this invitation is a man with a small red lizard on his shoulder. It was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. The man from hell, Lewis calls them ghosts, was about to leave, embarrassed by the words of his reptilian companion, when a great blazing man invited him to remain. I told this little chap, here he indicated the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course his stuff won't, be, won't do here, I realize that, but he won't stop. I just have to go home. When the angel, Lewis's word again, offers to kill the lizard, the ghost proposes a, multiple, a multitude of excuses divided by his longing to keep the creature and his longing to be free of its corrupting influences. The issue is the very one facing Lamoni's father and all of us. The lizard is a symbol for sins, our favorite sins, which we must be willing to give away. Again and again, the angel asks for permission, as the father and the son ask us, to kill the lizard and free the man from the consequences of his sins, a thing that cannot be done without consent of the one making the sacrifice. Finally, it happens. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't, but supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with, it, with this creature. Then I may. Yes, go, go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost. The transformation of the ghost once he had given up the thing that kept him out of heaven was wonderful. For a moment, I could, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw, between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and the shoulder of a man, then brighter still and stronger the legs and the hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched the actual com completing of a man, an immense man, not much smaller than the angel. All of us are sinners, and to some degree that reality will probably continue with us until we are out of this mortal tabernacle. But we must be willing to abandon our sins, and when we make mistakes, we must be willing to repent immediately. I do not recollect that I have seen five minutes since I was baptized that I have not been ready to preach a funeral sermon, lay hands on the sick, or to pray in private or in public. I will tell you the secret of this in all your business transactions, words, and communications. If you commit an overt act, repent of that immediately and call upon God to deliver you from evil and give, your, give you the light of his spirit. Never do a thing that your conscience and the light within you tells you is wrong. Never do a wrong, but do all the good you possibly can. Never do a thing to mar the peaceable influence of the Holy Spirit in you. Then, whatever you are engaged in, whatever in, whether in business, in the dance, or in the pulpit, you are ready to officiate at any time in any of the ordinances of the house of God. If I commit an overt act, the Lord knows the integrity of my heart, and through sincere repentance, he forgives me. And that was by Brigham Young, quoted by Ted Gibbons. Also, two things are worthy of note here, namely the nature of the preaching done by the sons of Mosiah and the depth of the conversions. These two aspects of conversion are inextricably tied. These missionaries did not trifle with the Lamanites. They did not entertain them or seek to, by sophistry or by manipulation to bring people into the church. They preached the gospel. They preached creation, fall, and atonement. They preached faith, repentance, and, and rebirth. They preached Christ. That is, their message was substantive and sacred, and it was presented by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thus, the listeners were converted to Christ, not to the missionaries or the other members of the church, as pleasant and sincere and dedicated as those might be. They were converted to Christ, and thus their testimonies and their lives were built upon the only sure foundation. That was by Milton McConkie. Verse 7, For they became a righteous people. They did lay down the weapons of their rebellion. Maybe the weapons of our rebellion are those things that cause us to fight against God. Word of wisdom, evil speaking, profanity, etc. Anything with which we resist the enticings of the Spirit. 
that they did not fight against God anymore, neither against any of their brethren. Now these are they who were converted unto the Lord, the people of the Lamanites who were in the land of Ishmael, also the people of the Lamanites who were in the land of Madoni and the land of and the city of Nephi, city of Shilom, uh, and who were in the land of Shemlon and the city of Lemuel and Shemnilam. And these are the names of the cities of the Lamanites, which were converted unto the Lord. And these are they that laid down the weapons of their rebellion, yea, all their weapons of war. And they were all Lamanites. And the Amalekites were not converted, save only one. Neither were any of the Amulonites, but they did harden their hearts, and also the hearts of the Lamanites in that part of the land, wheresoever they dwelt, yea, in all their villages and all their cities. Therefore, we have named all the cities of the Lamanites in which they did repent and come to the knowledge of the truth and were converted. And now it came to pass that the king and those who were converted were desirous that they might have a name, that thereby they might be distinguished from their brethren. Therefore, the king consulted with Aaron and many of their priests concerning the name that they should take upon them, that they might be distinguished. And it came to pass that they called their names Anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And they were called by this name and were, no, and were no more called Lamanites. And they began to be a very industrious people, yea, and they were friendly with the Nephites. Therefore, they did open a correspondence with them and the curse of God did no more follow them. So why were they called anti-Nephi-Lehi's? Does that sound like they're against Nephi and Lehi? It's not clear exactly why they called themselves anti-Nephi-Lehi's. Viewing the word anti as meaning opposed to or against, perhaps their action symbolizes a desire to dissolve barriers between Nephites and Lamanites and thus establish peace. Their name could in this sense re represent their opposition to a Nephite-Lamanite distinction. That is, they wanted neither Nephite nor Lamanites nor any manner of ites. Another possibility suggests itself. Webster Dictionary of 1828 indicates that the word anti means like or mirror image of. In that case, antichrist would mean not just opposed to Christ, but also deceptively similar to Christ, and perhaps the name anti-Nephi-Lehi's would symbolize their desire to be as Nephi and Lehi of old, that is, that they might remember the goodness and faithfulness of their first Nephite prophet leaders. So, and that was according to Millet McConkie. So that, uh, that's a possibility that they're called anti-Nephi-Lehi's uh, to be so similar to Nephi and Lehi that they're indistinguishable almost. They're doing the same things that the righteous Nephi and Lehi were doing. Uh, I bear testimony of the truth of the Book of Mormon and uh, say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I look forward to seeing you in the next podcast. Bye.